0: Chapter sixteen of three weeks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gail Timmerman Vaughan. Three weeks by Eleanor Glynn. Chapter sixteen. To some natures, security hath no charm. The sword of Damocles suspended over their heads adds to their enjoyment of anything of such seemed paul and his lady it was as if they were snatching astonishing pleasures from the very brink of some danger none the less in magnitude because unknown they did not breakfast until after one o'clock the next day and then she bade him sleep sleep on his other loggia where they sat which gave upon the side canal obliquely while looking into the small garden of roses and oleanders below here were shade and a cool small breeze we are so weary my beloved one the lady said let us sleep on these couches of smooth silk sleep the heavy hours of the afternoon away and go to the piazza when the heat of the sun has lessened in measure an immense languor was over paul he asked nothing better than to rest there in the perfumed shade near enough to his loved one to be able to stretch out his arm and touch her hair and soon a sweet sleep claimed him and all was oblivion and peace the lady lay still on her couch for a while her eyes gleaming between their half-closed lids but at last when she saw that paul indeed slept deeply she rose stealthily and crept from the place back to the room the gloomy vast room within where she summoned Dmitri and ordered the man she had called vasili the night before into her presence he came with cringing diffidence prostrating himself to the ground before her and kissing the hem of her dress mute adoration in his dark eyes like those of a faithful dog a great scar showing blue on his bronzed cheek and forehead she questioned him imperiously while he answered humbly in fear Dmitri stood by an anxious strained look on his face and now and then he put in a word of what danger did they warn her these two faithful servants one came from afar for no other purpose it seemed whatever it was she received the news in haughty defiance she spoke fiercely at first, and they humbled themselves the more. Then Anna appeared and joined her supplications to theirs, till at last the lady, like a pettish child, chasing a brood of tiresome chickens, shooed them all from the room, twixt laughter and tears. Then she threw up her arms in rage for a moment, and ran back to the loggia where Paul still slept. Here she sat and looked at him with burning eyes of love. He was certainly changed in the eighteen days since she had first seen him his face was thinner the beautiful lines of youth were drawn with a finer hand he was paler too and a shadow lay under his curly lashes but even in his sleep it seemed as if his wakened soul had set its seal upon his expression he had tasted of the knowledge of good and evil now the lady crept near him and kissed his hair then she flung herself on her own couch and soon she also slept it was six o'clock before they awoke paul first and what was his joy to be able to kneel beside her and watch her for a few seconds before her white lids lifted themselves an attitude of utter weariness and abandon was hers she was as a child tired out with passionate weeping who had fallen asleep as she had flung herself down there was something even pathetic about that proud head laid low upon her clasped arms paul gazed and gazed how he worshipped her wayward tigerish beautiful queen but never selfish or small. And what great thing had she not done for him? She who must have been able to choose from all the world for a lover. And she had chosen him. How poor and narrow were all the thoughts of his former life, everything hedged in with foolish prejudice and ignorant certainty. Now all the world should be his lesson-book, and some day he would show her he was worthy of her splendid teaching and belief in him, and her gift of an awakened soul. He bent still lower on his knees and kissed her feet with deepest reverence. She stirred not. She was so very pale, fear came to him for an instant, and then he kissed her mouth. Her wonderful eyes unclosed themselves, with none of the bewildered stare people often wake with when aroused suddenly. It seemed that even in her sleep she had been conscious of her loved one's presence. Her lips parted in a smile, while her heavy lashes again swept her cheeks sweetheart she said you could awake me from the dead i think but we are living still my paul waste no more time in dreams they made haste and were soon in the gondola on their way to the piazza paul she said with a wave of her hand which included all the beauty around i am so glad that you only see venice now when your eyes can take it in sweetheart at first it would have said almost nothing to you and she smiled playfully in fact my paul would have spent most of his time in wondering how he could get exercise enough, there being so few places to walk in. He would have bought a nigger boy with a dish for his father, and some Venetian mirrors for his aunts, and perhaps, yes, a piece of Mr. Jessurum's lace for his mother, and some blown glass for his friends. He would have walked through St. Mark's, and thought it was a tumble-down place with uneven pavements, and he would have noticed there was a jolly lot of pigeons in the square. Then he would have been captious with the food at his hotel, grumbled at the waiters, and scolded poor Thompson, and left for Rome. Oh, darling, said Paul, laughing too, in spite of his protest. Surely, surely I was never so bad as that. And yet I expect it is probably true. How can I ever thank you for giving me eyes and an understanding? There, there, beloved, she said. They walked through the piazza. The pigeons amused Paul, and they stopped and bought corn for them. And fed the greedy creatures, ever ready for the unending largesse of strangers. One or two, bolder than the rest, alighted on the lady's hat and shoulder, taking the corn from between her red lips, and Paul felt jealous even of the birds, and drew her on to see the campanile, still standing then. They looked at it all, they looked at the lion, and finally they entered St. Mark's. And here Paul held her arm, and gazed with bated breath. It was all so beautiful and wonderful and new to his eyes he had scarcely ever been in a roman catholic church before and had not guessed at the gorgeous beauty of this half-byzantine shrine they hardly spoke she did not weary him with details like a guide-book that would be for his afterlife visits but now he must see it just as a glorious whole they worshipped here and endowed their temple with gold and jewels she whispered and then they went into the Doge's palace, and placed a word in the lion's mouth, which meant death or destruction, to their best friends. A wonderful people, those old Venetians, sly and fierce, cruel and passionate, but with ever a shrewd smile in their eye, even in their love affairs. I often ask myself, Paul, if we are not too civilized, we of our time. We think too much of human suffering, and so we cultivate the nerves to suffer more, instead of hardening them picture to yourself in my grandfather's boyhood we still had the serfs i am of his day though it is over i have beaten Dmitri. then she stopped speaking abruptly as though aware she had localized her nation too much a strange imperious expression came into her eyes as they met paul's almost of defiance paul was moved he began as if to speak then he remembered his promise never to question her and remained silent Yes, my Paul, you have promised, you know, she said. I am for you, your love, your love. But living or dead, you must never seek to know more. Ah, he cried, you torture me when you speak like that. Living or dead, my God, that means us both. We stand or fall together. Dear one, her voice fell softly into a note of intense earnestness. While fate lets us be together, yes, living or dead, but if we must part, then either would be the cause of the death of the other, by further seeking. Never forget that, my beloved one. Listen. Her eyes took a sudden fierceness. Once I read your English book, The Lady and the Tiger. You remember it, Paul? She must choose which she would give her lover to, death and the tiger, or to another and more beautiful woman. One was left, you understand, to decide the end oneself. It caused question at the moment. Some were for one choice, some for the other, but for me there was never any hesitation. I would give you to a thousand tigers sooner than to another woman, just as I would give my life a thousand times for your life, my lover. Darling, said Paul, and I for yours, my fierce, adorable queen. But why should we speak of terrible things? Are we not happy today and now, and have you not told me to live while we may? Come, she said, and they walked on down to the gondola again, and floated away out to the lagoon, but when they were there far away from the world she talked in a new strain of earnestness to paul he must promise to do something with his life something useful and great in future years you must not just drift my paul like so many of your countrymen do you must help to stem the tide of your nation's decadence and be a strong man for me when i read now of england it seems as if all the hereditary legislators that is what you call your nobles eh these men have for their motto like louis the fifteenth après moi le déluge it will last my time paul wherever i am it will give me joy for you to be strong and great sweetheart i shall know then i have not loved just a beautiful shell whose mind i was able to light for a time that is a sadness paul perhaps the greatest of all to see a soul one has illuminated and awakened to the highest point gradually slipping back to a browsing sheep to live for la chasse alone and horses and dogs with each day no higher aim than its own mean pleasure ah paul she continued with sudden passion i would rather you were dead dead and cold with me than i should have to feel you were growing a rien du tout a thing who will go down into nothingness and be forgotten by men her face was aflame with the feu sacré, the noble brow and line of her throat Will ever remain in Paul's memory as a thing apart in womankind. Who could have smaller, unworthy thoughts who had known her, this splendid lady? And his worship grew and grew. End of chapter sixteen.